Hello, church. How's everybody doing? I, I do want to do, before we, we do anything else, I do want to, uh, just a quick show of hands. Who here, I just want to see if I'm alone or not, uh, thinks that we should uh, get rid of daylight savings time? Raise your hand. Anybody? Yeah, I say we just keep it from this from now on. No more changing, because I do not like getting up. Okay. Um, if you guys noticed in your bulletin, there's a little uh, insert in there. If you didn't notice that there's an insert in there, it's because it's fell out and it's somewhere on the floor. So um, look for those on the ground. Um, this is a little uh, a little sheet that we made for you to encourage you to do something. Um, Easter is upon us. It is coming in just a few weeks here. April 1st uh, is when e- Easter is. Um, and... Uh, Easter is interesting because it is the one time of year that people who don't usually come to church will come to church. Um, I don't quite understand it, and yet it, it happens every year where we're packed on Easter. Um, so if you uh, want to just commit with us for your friends, your families, your neighbors, if you could think of five people that you are willing to pray for and invite to come to Easter here to have the opportunity to hear the gospel message preached, um, it might be the only time they get to hear it is if the, you, they get invited and come here on Easter because they're willing to come on Easter to hear the message preached. So this is for you guys to write that down, keep it in your Bible, put it on your fridge, wherever you want, and we'll keep highlighting this for the next few weeks just so you guys can participate in that. Um, the, the next thing I want to share about is uh, if you were not here, if you're a father and you had a daughter and you were not here for the father-daughter dance, you missed out, okay? And I want you to feel bad, okay? So I want to show some quick pictures so that you can see what took place here. We're talking about 85, 86 people, dads and daughters, dancing for hours. And we're talking um, teenagers. I love some of the shots of the teenagers because they were willing to come with their old dads and dance in front of a bunch of people and if you just look at the smiles on these girls' faces, they are just as happy as could be. And so this is just, that says it all right there. Um, it was a fantastic event, and we're, we're really glad that we did it. And we want to continue to do these family-oriented events. So I've been getting a ton of pressure from the moms, just so everybody knows, saying, when's the mom thing? Okay, it's coming. Calm down. Um, it might be for a few more months, but we got something planned. Um, the next family event that we have is going to be Party in the Park. So Party in the Park, we're going to do the week after Easter. So the week following Easter, after our 11 o'clock service, we are going to go to the park across the street, and we are going to have a barbecue and have a great time playing games with our families and with everybody in the church. So I just want you to put that on. Oh, that, that date is incorrect. It is the week after Easter. Um, sorry, that, that date's wrong. Um, so it is the week after Easter. So that, I just want you guys to, to, to be aware of that. And not that date, but the actual date. Okay, so if you don't know um, what we're doing today, we, we've talked about it a few times, but we're actually doing a reading service. So if you don't know what a reading service is, um, it's something that we just started doing. Uh, it is a service where we are not going to have a message preached by one of the pastors here. We are just going to read the Word of God. We are going to read through the entire book of Philippians here today. Um, as a church together. Now, I want to highlight for us why we are doing this, because I, I imagine there's some people that said, hey, I came here to hear a message, all right? I came here to hear a message, not just to hear something read. Well, you're fortunate because we get to hear a message directly from God and from the Apostle Paul today, which is arguably better than me and Pastor Mark and Pastor Dave combined. So, um, why are we doing a reading service? Why do we do this? Well, here are the reasons why, why we want to do it. The first reason I think is the most important here, we want to obey Scripture, all right? First uh, Timothy 4.13 says, this is Paul speaking, until I come, give attention to the public 
reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Paul actually says not to neglect and give attention to public reading of Scripture. That's something that's valuable, that we should, we should pay attention to, that we should not take away this idea of reading Scripture. The letters that we have in the New Testament were intended to be written um, or intended to be read aloud to the congregation in their entirety. Not just pieces by pieces, but in their entirety. That's how they were intended to be received. And so we want to obey Scripture in that sense and say, yes, we want to read the Word of God in our congregation for our church. Um, the Word of God is essential to everything in the Christian life. It's essential to everything in the church. And we live in a society where that is changing, where the Word of God is being pushed aside for the teachings of men. All right. Um, it is more common nowadays to hear sermons titled Five Ways to Reignite Passion in Your Marriage than to hear a sermon titled Ephesians chapter 5. Um, it's just more and more common to hear the Word of God get slowly pushed aside for these ideas and concepts of creativity of men. And we want to be a church that says, no, we are committed to the Word of God as the central point of who we are as a church. The Word of God is the central point. The second reason why we want to do a reading service and read through the book of Philippians is because the Word of God is powerful by itself. By itself. Nothing needs to be added by men for this thing to be powerful. The, the style and, uh, and approach to preaching and teaching has changed drastically over the last few hundred years. It's changed drastically, but the one thing that hasn't changed is uh, what they are preaching about. The Word of God has always stayed central in the church as the thing that they preach from. The Word of God should be central. It, the Bible gives us everything we need for life and godliness. It's out of the Bible that we're informed about how we're to structure the church, organize ministries, set priorities in the church. It's out of the Bible where we receive truth and wisdom from God. It's out of the Bible that that we hear, uh, we understand the realities of our old life in sin. It's from the Bible that we we hear about the cross and the resurrection and the need for repentance to receive the new life. And it's from the Bible that we get hope for the life to come. Everything we need is contained within the scripture. The third reason uh, that we want to do a reading service and read through this whole book is um, we want to see scripture as a whole. Okay, um, It's becoming more and more common that we we're, just we're take scripture in its parts and we're not seeing the big picture. We want to read scripture in its context. Now, it's funny to me because in society right now, everybody seems to be up in arms about this in every other way. So you hear politicians who go do speeches and the news media outlets will just take little snippets of what they say, take it out of context and completely change the meaning. And we, we rise up, we get on Facebook and we, we do our thing and we say, how dare they do that? They shouldn't do that. And we, but the funny thing is, is that we do that with scripture a lot. We, we take just a verse out of its context and apply a meaning to it that it doesn't mean. Let me give you an example because we actually have one of the most common ones in Philippians. Philippians 4.13, you guys may all know this, it's, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You guys heard that? Now, this is one of the most out-of-context verses that, that you hear because what, what people, when they read this and when they quote this, so you see it everywhere, you see it on, you know, basketball teams, use it as their tagline, you know, you see it on the walls and gyms, you, you see it everywhere. What people read this verse is, is they read it as saying, Whatever it is that I desire to do in my life, God will give me the strength to complete it. So they read it selfishly. So they say, hey, if I want to run a marathon, if I desire to run a marathon, God will give me the strength to do it. If I want to climb a mountain, 
God will give me the strength to do it. If I want to be successful in my industry, in my career, God will give me the strength to do it because that's what I want to do, and he's going to strengthen me to do it. But when you read the context of Philippians, you find that that's not really what this verse is talking about. The context of Philippians is, is pretty clear. Paul's in prison. He's suffering. He is without the necessary things he needs for his life. He's in want. He's hurting. He's discouraged maybe even a little bit in his setting. All right? And yet he says, in the midst of his circumstances that is bad, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, how can he do that? He makes it clear. Because he knows the surpassing, uh, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. Because he can grab on to that reality, he can do all things. What he's really talking about is enduring suffering and trial. And he's enduring that suffering trial because he is following the will of God and doing what God has called him to do, and that is the world is opposed to Christ, and so he is suffering for the sake of Christ. So in the midst of him following Christ, thanks, Alvin, for the sake of him following Christ, uh, he is suffering for it, and he can endure it and get all strength to persevere through it because he understands Christ. That's what that verse is talking about. So we want to understand the scripture as a whole. So when we read the whole context of Philippians, we get to see those things as they are rightly placed in the right context. All right. Um, the last uh, the last point I want to make of why we're doing this is because um, we want to model the practice of of reading your Bible uh, as a church. We, we want to just, we want to be a model for you to say, hey, we understand that reading your Bible is hard. Anybody here who doesn't say that reading your Bible is hard, I think you're lying. Reading your Bible is hard because everything in your life is trying to stop you from reading your Bible. Everything in your life is competing for your time and your energy and your devotion. Even if it's your family and your job, your kids, the laundry, the dishes, your sports teams, whatever it is that you have going on in your life, they're competing for your time and everything is, is trying to take you away from getting into the word of God. But it is so valuable and we believe it is so valuable to just read the Word of God that we want to model that for you as a church, the value of reading the Word of God. And one of the best ways for you to understand the value of reading the Word of God is to experience the benefits. So as you're sitting and hearing the Word of God read today, I want you to just experience what is being communicated through the Word of God alone, just by itself. And see the value, the weight, the amazing things that are included in the Word of God, and let that motivate you to your own practice of daily reading and study. So with that being said, um, what we're going to do, the way we're going to go about this is um, Michael is going to come up now and give us a, a brief introduction of the book of Philippians, kind of set the stage for the context of the book of Philippians so that we can kind of get a few key points and understand the structure of Philippians. And then um, we're going to read through the first two chapters together, and we're going to respond in worship. And then we're going to uh, read through this, the next two chapters, and then we're going to respond by taking communion and worshiping once again. So we are understanding the, the revealed word of God and will of God through his word, and then we're responding to that. So that's what we want to do today. All right? Take it away. Thank you, Pastor. As Pastor Doug mentioned, my name is Michael Camarina. I'm one of the Bible teachers here at the Rock Community Church, and it's my pleasure to present the outline for the book of Philippians, which we're uh, about to go through. Uh, this morning, you know, we're going to begin on a wonderful new journey spiritually uh, over the next few months as our Lord speaks to us through the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Philippians. There's no doubt many of you have heard Philippians being called the epistle of joy, right? 
and rightfully so. Joy is the primary theme in the book of Philippians. Paul mentions joy at least 16 times. He mentions Christ 50 times, and that is because his joy is found in Christ, and so is our joy found in Christ. So joy, as it relates to the Christian, I want to first establish what joy is not. Right? Joy is not happiness. It is not happiness. Happiness is related to circumstance. Right? Joy, joy is not related to circumstances at all. It's not related to your current situation. When we talk about joy, we're talking about a deep, intrinsic confidence that all is well. No matter what the circumstance, no matter what the difficulty, no matter what the problem. And that is very different from happiness. Joy, a gift from God to those who have repented of their sin, put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and who receive and obey his word. You know, it's interesting, as you go through some of the other uh, letters that Paul wrote to, to the other churches like Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, and so forth, you'll find that there's a lot of correction in those letters. There's a lot of uh, restoration of the gospel. Those churches had been infiltrated by false teachers, often teaching harmful and even damning heresies. So Paul was compelled to, by the Holy Spirit to write to these churches and refute the false teachings that had poisoned the congregations and had led them astray from the gospel. But in his letter to the Philippians, we don't see that. We don't really see that very much. There, there were no major problems in the Philippian church to deal with. So they're, they, you know, they were just some believers in the midst of paganism. Um, and although this letter has some warnings and some exhortations and encouragement, no problems in the church are ever discussed in the book of Philippians. So let's look at the context a little bit uh, in which Paul writes this letter. Um, just briefly, the city of Philippi, at this time was a Roman colony, meaning it was self-governed, it was free from Roman taxation, and its people enjoyed the rights of Roman citizenry. And so consequently, they were a proud Roman colony. Its citizens were proud to be Roman. And that's important to note, as we're going to see in a moment. So how did it all begin? How did the church in Philippi Begin. Let's go, if you have your Bibles, let's go to Acts chapter 16, just briefly. I'm going to paraphrase a lot of this, so hopefully you can follow along. Um, but in Acts 16, we see the beginning of the church in Philippi. In the first three verses of chapter 16, Paul has just taken Timothy under his wing on his ministry, going from place to place. And then came that wonderful vision that Paul has in verse 9, where it says, A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. So Macedonia, which is where Philippi is located, is on the coastline of modern-day Greece. And so God was calling Christianity from Asia over to Europe. The call to Macedonia. The call to step into Europe. And in verse 12, it says they arrive in Philippi, which is the leading city in the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying there in this city for some days. Paul, Timothy, Silas, and Luke, the writer of Acts. In verse 13, it says, on the, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a, a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. 
and we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. Verse 14, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And she and her household were baptized, and that's where the church of Philippi began. It began with a woman by a riverside. You know, the first person that Jesus ever revealed himself to being Messiah was a Samaritan woman, right? The woman at the well. The first people that saw the empty tomb of Jesus were women, and the first European convert was a woman, Lydia, the first European convert. Immediately after that, in verse 16, it says, It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl, having a spirit of divination, in other words, she had a demon, uh, met us, who was bringing her master much profit for, by fortune-telling. So this, this young woman, this demon-possessed slave girl, was making much money for her masters by fortune-telling. And verse 17, verse 17 says, following after that, Paul, following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, these men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Now that is fascinating to me. This demon-possessed girl saying that these men are proclaiming the way of salvation. You know, James 2.19 says that the demons believe the truth about God and they shudder. The demons, in other words, fallen angels, they're essentially orthodox in their doctrine, right? But orthodox, orthodoxy by itself does not produce faith, saving faith. And this demon-possessed girl says... In verse 17, these men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Was that true? Absolutely. Completely and utterly true. Everything she said here was true. But I want to tell you that the danger to the life, uh, the greatest danger to the life of the church is when Satan tells the truth. Great danger in that. And that is what makes false teachers so destructive and so dangerous. They're only dangerous when they tell the truth, right? Because then they sound biblical. They're not dangerous when they lie because we know they're lying. All we have to do is compare them to the scriptures. But they're dangerous when they tell the truth. And so the key to being a successful false teacher is to tell as much truth as you can. Verse 18. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. Well, that enraged her masters because they had lost their hope for profit. So they dragged Paul and Silas before, before the authorities. They stir up the crowd. An angry mob forms. And they beat Paul and Silas with rods. They throw them into prison. Verse 23 says they commanded the jailer to guard them securely. And he fastened their feet to stocks. Picture that. Beaten with a bundle of rods. I'm, I'm told that these rods would turn their back into a shredded mess. It would often cause intense hemorrhaging, organ damage, smashed vertebrae. It could cause death. These aching, bleeding men, barely able to walk. 
thrown into a deep, dark cell and put in stocks. Unable to move, muscles cramping like you wouldn't believe, sitting in their own filth along with the rats and whatever else, all because some men lost their profits when they lost their demon-possessed girl. And what's their attitude? What's Paul and Silas' attitude? Let's read verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. They were singing hymns of praise to their God. I mean, we think we've got troubles, right? Listen, the, the church in Philippi was born out of joy. Out of joy. And I'm telling you, it's a joy that's unrelated to circumstances. They were in pain. They were imprisoned. They were facing death. And they rejoiced. That's not happiness. That's joy. That's joy. So deep, so profound that nothing touches it. Joy, a gift from God to those who have repented of their sin, put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and who receive and obey his words. So they sang praises to their God. In verse 26, it says, Suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were unfastened. The jailer realized it, and he would rather commit suicide than to to suffer the humiliation of being executed for having lost his prisoners. And in verse 28, Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. What a leader. What a leader. Just like that, he just put an end to the whole thing. Verse 29 says, He called... Uh, And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He had heard the gospel. He had heard them singing songs of praise. I don't think they were singing those mushy songs. I think they were singing songs that proclaim the gospel. And he said, What must I do to be saved? And in verse 31, they, they respond, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Now someone says, well, let's see, it's so simple, you just believe. But we know that there's a lot in that belief, right? As we read the entire Bible, we see that there's regeneration, repentance, sanctification. Verse 32, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house, and he took them that very hour of the night, and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. That was the birth of the church of Philippi. It's beautiful, isn't it? Just beautiful. It started with a lady by a river, and a jailer and his household, and they came together. Now, let's go ahead and look at our outline for this magnificent letter. Most likely, Paul wrote Philippians from a Roman prison, again being jailed for preaching the gospel. The members of the Philippian church had supported Paul over the years. They loved him so much. And now, hearing of his imprisonment, they had sent him a gift, along with a man named Epaphroditus, 
to minister to Paul. And so our outline shows us the reasons why Paul wrote this letter to them. So our first section is the first 26 verses of chapter 1, where Jesus Christ is proclaimed. So verse 12 of chapter 1 says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. And in verse 18, Paul says, In every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Paul's reason for living, the believer's reason for living, is to proclaim Christ. That's why we're here. Our next section would be uh, chapter 1, verse 27, through chapter 2, verse 18, where Paul gives instructions and exhortations. In verse 27 of chapter 1, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And over in chapter 2, in verse 2, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. And why do we do these things? Well, verse 5 tells us, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. We are to reflect the light of Jesus as disciples of him. We are to show the love of Christ in order to share the gospel of God who saves sinners from judgment. Our next section, the last 12 verses of chapter 2, where Paul talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus. Timothy was Paul's son in the faith, and Epaphroditus was a man who was ministering to Paul and to the church, and he tells the church that he, they, he's going to be sending these two men to Philippi to minister to the church. In verse 26, he says about Epaphroditus, he says, He was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. Epaphroditus had deep concern for the church. And it shows the love and the unity that they had for one another. And I think that we here at the Rock Community Church have that same love and unity for one another. And I'm grateful for that. Our next section uh, is really all of chapter 3, where Paul uh, give some warnings about legalism and obedience, and or, I'm sorry, disobedience. In verse 2, he talks about false teachers, um, which are always a danger to the church, even today. In verse uh, 17 through 19, he talks about, he warns about uh, certain types of disobedience, and why, why do we want to obey? Why do we not want to disobey our Lord? Verse 20 tells us, because we are citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And that was a powerful statement in a city that prided themselves on being Roman citizens, right? We're American, but more than that, we are citizens of heaven, and we're merely strangers. We're merely sojourners on this earth. Our last section is chapter 4, where Paul talks about unity, joy, and peace in Christ. Verse 2 of chapter 4 he urges Iodia and Sintich to live in harmony in the Lord. He's telling us to resolve our conflicts, right? To avoid factions. And I believe that the Rock Community Church does this well. But we must be diligent to continue that. Verse 4, he tells us rejoice. In verse, verses 5 through 7, he talks about the peace of, of God, which surpasses all comprehension. And how do we have that peace? Well, verse 8 and 9 tells us by dwelling on the things 
of God. Let me sum up what Paul is saying in this book. In each and every chapter, in each and every verse, Paul's rejoicing. He's rejoicing. That's his message. We're going to learn in these four chapters that people are going to fail you. Possessions are going to fail you. Circumstances are going to fail you. But it doesn't ever have to steal your joy. Paul is in prison when he writes this letter. He's in prison again. He's facing death again. Beaten numerous times, almost to death. And his beloved church in Philippi is concerned. And so they send him a gift and they send him Epaphroditus. But here's a man with deep concern for others. More concerned about others than himself because of the joy he has in Christ. And he writes to them and he says, Thank you for your gift. I don't need it, but I'm so glad that you love me such that you would give me a gift. Thank you for Epaphroditus, but I'm sending him back to you because you need him more. Don't worry about me. I am rejoicing. Joy in all circumstances, untouched by this fallen world. And before we're done with this book, you'll understand why. Let's pray. (coughs) Father, thank you for this time to read through your word. I just pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and that we would hear from you, directly from you, this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Please turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you, because I have you in my heart since both my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all, with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater purposes of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear.
Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ, even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives. Thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment, what then? Only that in every way, whether in the pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope, I will not be put into shame into anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for the progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Chapter 2. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any Affection or compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Having this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as if you always have obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in that day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain or toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests and not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on also me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore... I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again you may rejoice, and that I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men of him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete which was deficient in your service to me. All right, we're Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence in the, even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, persecutor of the church, As to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count 
all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which also I laid was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, therefore, as many as perfect, have this attitude. And if any, if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that uh, also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have obtained. Brethren, join me in my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I've often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble estate into conformity with the body of his glory by exhortation of the power that he has given even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved brethren whom I long to see, my joy, my crown in the way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Odia and Sintichi to live in harmony in the Lord, indeed true companion. I ask you also to help these women who have shared in my struggle in the case of the gospel together with Clement and also the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute. If there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. 
But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatsoever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases in your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Ephroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you, and all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit.